Pitfall number six, let me do a brief review. Actually, we gotta draw our triangle, our triangle of relationships. So ones, twos, threes, fours, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Acquaintances, people I know. Increase your acquaintances will bring you more. If you're struggling with these and you need more of these, it all starts here. So acquaintances, friends, friendship dating. This class has been an introduction to this concept that is lost in the world, that what keeps marriages together is friendship. The greatest scientists that study the, the science of marriage are saying that what keeps couples together is friendship. And the irony is most couples today don't start that way. We jump right to relationship dating and it's awkward and uncomfortable at first. And because of that, sometimes we don't even try. But pitfall number one was skipping friendship dating. Pitfall number two is not understanding what relationship is, dating is about, not taking advantage of it, not using it for its purposes. Pitfall number three was letting your heart jump to six. One of the biggest dangers in dating is as soon as you start relationship dating, if this is engaged and married, as soon as you jump into a relationship, where do your expectations go? Where does your heart go? And then if you discover deal breakers that break the deal, what happens to that heart? How many people have been so shattered because of that, that they just gave up? I'm not going to try anymore. That's pitfall number three is not letting your heart go to six, understanding that relationships need time to develop and that you grant the relationship, the realistic possibility that it's not a match and that you're dating to find out that you're a match. And if you discover that you're not a match, you're going to keep your heart from going to six so that you can just, you know what? We're not a match. And you put that puzzle piece down and you pick up another one. Is it somehow a failure if two people aren't a match? No. no. This one wasn't a match. So we put it down and we pick up another piece. Uh, sorry, it's my first time in this class. What are, what are the one, two, three, four, five? So these are acquaintances. These are people I know. Oh, you're in my ward. I know you. These are friends. This is friendship dating. Friendship dating is different than relationships dating. It's just about building a friendship. Do you remember when Lamoni, when Ammon shows up in Lamoni's town and Lamoni says, what are your desires? And he says, I desire to dwell among you, perhaps even until the day I die. Whether you join my church or not, I would like you in my life. Mm -hmm. Friendship dating is when we say, look, whether we're a match or not, and that's a subject for another day, can we build a friendship? Friendship dating is comfortable because you're not, you're not playing the game of are we a match? You're not on display, so to speak. You're simply building a friendship. Whether we're a match or not, Let's build a friendship. That's friendship dating. This is relationship dating. 
And the purpose of relationship dating is to ask the question, are we a match? And we should deliberately date in such a way that we show that we're a match. For example, children are a deal breaker. My, my philosophy is if something's going to break the deal, when should it break the deal? The sooner, the better. The sooner it breaks the deal, the better. The less painful, right? So if children is a deal breaker, what's one thing you should deliberately plan on doing on a date? It should involve children. Dates should involve money in the sense that I get to see how we feel about money. Dates should involve work in the sense that I get to see how hard we work. I don't want to be married to someone who just gives up when things get tough. Well, how would I know that if we've never planned a date where we did something tough, like a long hike or something like that? Do you see the purpose of dating? The purpose of dating is to show each other that there is an absence of deal breakers in this relationship. And so we date with that in mind. So pitfall one is skipping this one. Pitfall two is not understanding the purpose of this one. This was engaged and this was married. Pitfall number three is while you're doing this, you let your heart go where? Here. How common is that? Even as little kids, right? You fell in love with a star. You fell in love with some singer or an actress or an actor or an athlete. And all of a sudden you pictured being married to them because our brain automatically jumps to marriage every time we, we crave a relationship with someone. So pitfall number three is keep your heart here. Grant the relationship time without the pressure to see if we're a match. Pitfall number four was inappropriate dating. If I'm on a date with a one, but I have a four mentality, how's that date going to go? How's that date going to go for the person I'm on the date with that I've invited on the date? If, if we barely know each other and we're kind of, I'm kind of testing the water to see if we're marriage material, how's that date going to go? And probably it's a one and done, right? What's the purpose of being on a date with a one? What should be the sole focus of the date and the purpose of the date? Build a friendship. The purpose of being on a date with a two is to begin to focus on the person and develop the friendship like we can't do here. And so we spent time talking at each level. What's the purpose of the date here? Make sure you're appropriate dating. Now, last week we did pitfall number five, and that is, so the first four pitfalls have to do with going up and down the triangle. Now we're going to focus here. This is going to be our focus, and we're going to answer the question, are we a match? The next few pitfalls are designed to answer the question, are we a match? Stephen. Oh, you got to read. Do you know what? Levi's going to be our reader. You hand it to Levi and you raise your hand and he'll read your comment. Stephen. He said, what was the problem? I don't remember the but what was the problem with Mark Hackett, Scott Peterson on children? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That was a very significant deal breaker, wasn't it? Very good. Good. Good point. Mm -hmm. 
Now, not to be judgmental, but do you think when they were dating, they could have dated in such a way that that would have revealed itself? And that's the point. Okay, so pitfall, pitfall number five, are we a match, was knowing the difference between love and being in love. Being in love, that thrill, the emotion, if you base marriage on the thrill of being in love, what's going to happen? It will inevitably end. Thrills always end. But, but love doesn't have to end. And so that was last week's class, is know the difference between being in love and love. So let me introduce pitfall number six. Allow me to kind of get up in your face today and challenge some preconceived notions. I believe most of you are looking for someone just like you. I think our instinct is to look for someone just like you. I watched an intriguing show once. I wish I could remember which one it was, but they were trying to catch a guy who was using love scams to steal money. And so they wanted to find a guy. They wanted to create someone who this guy would fall in love with, who he'd be attracted to. So do you know how, do you know how they created a profile of someone that they thought he would be attracted to? They took his face and turned it into a female. And just like that, it worked like a charm. And that's where this idea got planted in my head. Oh my goodness. I came home, total missionary-itis. And I said to myself, I want to marry a missionary. Coming out of my mission, I, I want to marry a mission because that was my experience. And I'd had sister missionaries in the mission field and I knew what sister missionaries went through and I wanted to have that same experience. And the very best thing in my life is that I married someone very different than I am. So here's the concept I want to break. You are looking for someone like you. Now, why is that easy? Why is it so easy to find someone just like you? Because similar, I mean, where do you eat? Easy to pick a restaurant, right? What activities do you go to? Easy to pick an activity because you both like the same things. So let me challenge that. And I, sorry, I was trying to copy and our copying machine is broken right now. So I did as many as I could. If we need to share, maybe we share. But I wanna convince you that you have a blind spot in your eye. If you've never done this test, this is gonna freak you out a little bit. Okay, and I hope I made enough. Shoot, I'm running out. Madison and Levi, could you two share? And I'll let you guys. All right, Adam. I'll share with Scott. Okay, you share with Scott. You two share. All right. Here's what you need to do. Ready, Stephen, can I borrow yours? All right, at the very back of your eye, are cones and rods. That's how we perceive what we see, cones and rods. But they send a message to your brain and they gather 
all those nerves gather at a spot where we call the, the where the optic nerve is. Where that octave, optic nerve is in the back of your eye, there are no cones and rods. So right there in that hole, you cannot perceive sight. You have a hole in your vision. So you need to close one eye. Keep one eye closed and then it doesn't matter if you want to look at this, the plus sign and have the dot on the outside. So stare at the plus sign and keep the dot on the outside. Now, don't look at the dot. Look at the plus sign and move it out slowly until all of a sudden the dot disappears right there. When I get it right there, I cannot. I'm staring at the plus and I cannot see the dot in my peripheral vision because that's where my optic nerve would perceive it. The dot disappears. It's freaky. Now, you got to go to the outside. If you're doing the inside, it won't work. So do it the outside. So stare at the plus sign and keep the dot on the outside and go straight out until the dot disappears. It is freaky that it disappears. Now, knowing where my blind spot is, it's freaky when it disappears, right? You're staring at the page, and yet I cannot see that dot right there. And if you flip it around, you can, you can do it with your other eye. And it may or may not be in the same spot. I've had several students where their, left eye, their right eye was here and their left eye was here. But you have a blind spot. Everyone find it? Freaky, right? Okay, now, let's talk about the application. Why is it that you don't see holes in your vision? That's, where if, that's if I close this eye. If I close this eye, I can kind of perceive that I'm not getting much right here. And my brain's just kind of filling it in. But when I open this eye, I see very clearly in that very spot where right here I didn't see clearly. Why don't I have a blind spot when my two eyes are open? This eye is not blind where this eye is. And this eye is not blind where this eye is. In other words, my blinds are, say it, complementary. What would be the biggest problem with marrying someone just like you? Same interest. That makes it easy. Same interests, but same blind spots. Now, let me ask you how deeply you believe the following statement. Turn with me to Ether 1227. You knew exactly where I was going, right? Ether 1227. Many of you can memorize it. Whoa, 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 whoa. I give unto men weakness. I give unto men weakness. Your weakness is a divine gift. Therefore, who would be the best, the very best person to walk through life with? 
If we look at it this way, if we look at the plan of salvation from that perspective and say, look, I have God-given weaknesses. And I darn well would be better off if what? I partnered with someone that wasn't weak where I am weak. Perhaps the best partner you could choose for life is not like you. Is someone who doesn't think the way you think. And yet, I don't think that is instinctive when we start looking for a spouse. I noticed something in high school, and I've noticed, I've taught college and high school students for many years, and I've noticed that we pretty much stick together by interest and like. I've noticed that athletes hang out with athletes, male and female. Music people hang out with music people. I always noticed that the thespians always hung out with the thespians. Now, if I always hang out with them, if I'm a music person and I always hang out with music people, what do you think is going to happen when it's time to date? Who will I date? I will date the people I hang out with. And who will I marry? The people I date. And it's... It's a challenge in our culture because you are hanging out with people like you. You naturally gravitate to people like you. But maybe, just maybe, your best partner in life is not like you. Maybe the best partner you could partner with is someone who sees what you don't see. Can I just... Let me use two church scripture examples to illustrate. Number one, Stephen, you need some help? Uh, he just says, she is yours forever. That's right. That's fantastic. Let me show you two scriptural examples of do you find a compliment or do you ignore that you have a weakness and just forget that? Let me use Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. Let's start with Oliver. Turn with me to section 23 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Tell me what was, what was Oliver told? Let's start with Oliver. Section 23, verse 1. Oliver Cowdery was told quite bluntly from the Lord. I mean, talk about if men come into me, I was shown to their weakness. How about have it revealed and printed in Scripture for the whole world to know? <laughs> Section 23, verse 1. What was Oliver Cowdery's weakness as published to the whole world? Oliver, you have a weakness, and guess what it is? Oliver, you have a weakness, and it's pride. Now, Oliver is the number one guy. He's the, he's the second in command guy. That's going to be hard for someone who has pride, doesn't it? I mean, here we've got Joseph, and where's Oliver? Yeah, kind of there, right? Always there, faithful. Who was the first person baptized in this dispensation? Oliver, because who did it? He did it. 
But do you see that's setting Oliver up for a challenge because Oliver's problem is pride. And what's going to happen if you're the number two guy? Somewhere along the line, what's going to happen? I'm not happy being the number two guy. So Oliver's position in the church is contradictory to his weakness. Now that's okay, right? Because if, I, if men come unto me, I'll show unto your weakness. I give unto men weakness. And have faith in me, then will I make good things become strong. So, Oliver, we can make this work. We can make this work. You can be the number two guy, and you can struggle with pride if you find a compliment. So, for example, keep your finger, keep one page in the doctrine, and flip to the Book of Mormon. I love what they did in Sidon. After Ammoniah, remember the whole story about Ammoniah? Remember when they were burning the women and the children? And Zeezrom was the chief bad guy that got converted. And he went and he thought he was responsible for Alma and Amulek's death. And so then Alma and Amulek come. Now they establish a church. Now, having watched what happened in Ammoniah, they're going to make sure it doesn't happen again, right? So they move into Sidon. And what do they do? Look at verse 15. Alma chapter, Alma 15, verse 17, sorry. Alma 15, 17. Alma says, I'm not leaving this place until we've done what? Until we have established. Uh, keep going. A check. I'm not leaving until there's a check on our pride. Now. Who would be the very best check if I struggled with pride? Someone who spent every day with me. Do you see where I'm kind of going with this? Now, can this work? Can this work? Can his weakness and his position coexist? If he's smart enough to do something, right? He's going to have to do something. Did Oliver Cowdery do something to check his pride? He did not. And what is the reason Oliver Cowdery was excommunicated from the church? Pride. His pride cost him his membership in the church. Now, let me contrast that. Go back to, uh, go, go back to the Doctrine and Covenants. Go to section 24. Back in section 24, go to the, ver- go to the verse 8. Section 24, verse, no, 9, verse, verse 9. Sorry. Joseph, you have a weakness too. If men come unto me, I will show them their weakness. I give unto men weakness. Joseph Smith had a weakness. What was his weakness? Printed in the scripture for everyone to know. <laughs> That's got to be brutal. <laughs> what was Joseph's weakness? Section 24, verse 9. What was his weakness? He's not very good in temporal labors. Can I give you an an example? We know the story about how the Aaronic priesthood was restored, right? They're translating the Book of Mormon. It says something about baptism. They go out to the banks of the Susquehanna River, or uh, John the Baptist comes. We know the story, right? Can anyone tell me the story of how the Melchizedek priesthood was restored? We know it was. But we don't know the story. Tell me why we don't know the story. Because Joseph never wrote it down. 
And why didn't Joseph write it down? Because he's not very good at temporal things. I will admit, I am not very good at temporal things. Do you want to know how many times the secretaries have to email and say, Bryce, mark your roles. Please mark your roles every week. Because I love teaching, but I don't care about marking the roles or keeping track of that. And I'm not very good at temporal things. And I totally sympathize with Joseph, who never wrote it down. But in contrast to Oliver, tell me what Joseph did. From the very beginning, what did Joseph do? He hired a scribe. He hired a compliment. He hired someone very good at temporal things. And from the moment he hired a scribe, guess what happened in church history? <laughs> we now know everything that happened because the scribe wrote it down because Joseph wasn't good. Now, I love that story because it tells me something about me. Because he loves me, he has given me divine weaknesses. I know mine. My family has a lot of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. I like to say that I have the O and the C, but not the D. I obsess. The reason I teach the scriptures is I have spent my life obsessing over them. They are my obsession. One time I read the book of Helaman 15 times in 20 days because I just didn't feel like I had a full understanding of Helaman. And one of those readings was backwards. I read the chapters in reverse order to see if I could see something differently. I obsess. When something's broken in my house, I obsess over it. And I can't do anything else until I fix it. Now, how horrible would it be if I married a woman who obsessed over the same things I obsessed? That would be horrible for our children, wouldn't it? Now, luckily, I married a woman who does not have that problem, and she is my complement. And I love that because guess who saves me? Guess who saves our children? Bryce, I need you to focus. We can fix the computer later. Right now, I need you to help me with dinner. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, you're right. She does it kindly. Mm -hmm. I'll be obsessing over something on my phone. My mind is fixed and she's trying to have a conversation with me. And then she'll say something like, I'll wait. That's her kind way of saying what? Honey, you are not paying attention to me and I need you to pay attention to me. So I'll just kindly wait until you are. Now, do you see why we all need a compliment? Now, I'm not saying you need to marry your opposite. I'm just introducing the idea that maybe you need to break out of your circle of everyone else being the same like you and open yourself up to the possibility that perhaps my best match is someone different than I am. My wife is very emotional. I am very logical. That has been a challenge, deciding when to have a child and how many children to have. How would I approach the question of when do we have our next child? How do I approach it? Very logically. 
How does she approach it? Very emotionally. And the very best thing, she has changed my life to help me understand that sometimes logic is not the best way to solve a problem. And understanding how she feels about it has given me a depth that I never would have had on my own. Our children have a better life because she is not like me. And I am not like her. And it works. Now, how many of you have parents that are very different from each other? Tell me about mom and dad. Anyone willing? Tell, us, tell me about mom yeah. and then tell me about dad. So my mom is like, when it comes to disciplinary, she's sweet, she's soft-spoken. Then my dad is a lot more hardcore, you know, get after you, the hardcore discipline type guy. Now, how would your childhood have been better if it had been all mom? That's interesting, right? Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You didn't do your homework. That's fine. How would your childhood have been different if it had been all that? Yeah. <laughs> now, do you see how that balance as far as raising children? How many times do you think she said to him, oh, dear, come on. It's not as serious as you think it is. Soften up. And how many times did he say to her, I think we need to take this more seriously than we are for their benefit. Do you see how that worked? It worked, didn't it? But it only worked because they were together. Anyone else? Tell me about how mom and dad were different. Do you see that? Now, ponder your childhood if one had dominated and the other had not been there. And then do the reverse. And do you see how that your childhood was better because of the two coming together? Now, Rachel, you want to... Yeah. And so it's like interesting to think back on it because I do remember that there would be like several times where like, you know, like one of us would be, or like our younger sister would do something wrong and then our dad would be like, it's okay. And then my mom would be like freaking out over it. And so, but then they would have a talk about it and then my dad would try to, you know, if there was a yep. situation where it was a mess, like my dad would try to tell her, it's okay, it's not a big deal. Well, like there were other times where my mom would be like, I think we need to take this more seriously, you know, like, so. There's the balance, right? Yeah. That's the beauty. Go ahead. Um, I just had a question. Uh, can I tell you more about my mom and dad? Yeah. My relationship right yeah. Now? So I'm dating, I'm dating a girl. I've been married before. She's been married before. And we've been dating for about four and a half months. And she always keeps saying, we met in the ward, right? She's a second counselor in Relief Society Presidency. She loves the Lord. She goes to the temple. I'm a return missionary myself. I work in the temple currently. And uh, we have a lot of similarities. 
But when we started dating, she would always say, like, Alex, we're so different. And she would put, point out to those different things that we have. And so one thing that is really different about us is I'm very emotional. Like, I make a decision being driven by feeling, and she is all OCD. It's the opposite of Jen and I. Clean. Her schedule, you know, Lake Powell is, uh, is in the end of July. You know, Grandma Joe comes, comes in September. For Halloween, we're going to Disneyland. Yep. Like this. It's I all scheduled. Like, like this, exactly. And for up until this lesson today, I was honestly thinking it's a deal breaker. Because I had this paradigm where, you know, similarities attract. You know, the law of attraction. But now, in the light of what you just explained. Maybe. Maybe, just maybe, it's a good thing that we're like that. Yeah. And again, uh, Take all of these things and weigh them as you're juggling all these balls and looking for an eternal companion. I just invite you to consider if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness. I give unto men weakness. You have a divinely given weakness. Oliver Cowdery's was pride. Joseph's was not very good at temporal things. Every one of you have a weakness. And maybe, just maybe, the best person to partner with to get through life is someone who complements that. Where you can find things in common and go to find a restaurant to eat at and do an activity that you both enjoy. And yet someone who can say, I need to show you a different way of thinking. And that has been the biggest blessing. My wife has completely changed my life and made me a better person because she's my complement. In many ways, we're very similar. In many ways, we're very, very different. Here and then here. So um, I'm curious your take on this. I'm just sort of connecting this house. My parents are um, a little interesting in that I would say probably four-fifths of their personalities and what they act are the same instead of different. And so I've been trying to think for a moment, okay, how does that line up? The thing I'm realizing is that the fifth one are very different people is where all of their blind spots are constant. Yeah. And I'm realizing, I think maybe, I, I'm curious your thoughts on that, but what occurs to you is maybe that. And sometimes the combination is a four-fifths combination. Mm -hmm. Where we're very, very similar, but that one area where we're different is exactly what I need to see. And, exactly and I need you to help me see. The other thought I have is, even if your parents were five-fifths the same, you then become, the children then become the other way of seeing the world. And then all of a sudden, I wonder if there's wisdom in Heavenly Father sending you to that family to say, Mom, my life is going to teach you a different way of thinking. My brother, thankfully, made my dad a much better dad because my brother forced my dad to rethink his ways. And I am blessed. I, am, I have a better relationship with my dad because of the struggle he had with my brother for a long time. So if it's not your spouse, the Lord will send someone in your life that will help you. I promise you. But just one thing to consider as you're dating, pitfall number six is not, now let me give you a term. I wanna give you a term. We've been talking about deal breakers 
And next week we'll focus back, we'll be back, back here. Deal breakers, preferences. Now let me throw out a third word, needs. What do you need in a spouse? What do you need in a spouse? That's a question that I'm guessing you've never asked yourself. And my invitation to you today is not put everything in that one category, but balance that category with everything else. What do you need? If you're going to pick someone to walk through this life with together, what do you need in that spouse? Go ahead. I'm so sorry. Dang it, I hate it when that happens. I apologize. But would you this week, as you've thought about, do you have a thought, Stephen or Levi? I'm going to ask, but if you're going to talk about next week, is a need just like the opposite of a deal? Now, do you see? This is, this is essential similarities. We need to be the same in this area. Religiously, raising our children or how, you know, we need to be the same. It's a deal breaker for me if we're not on the same page here. These are necessary similarities. And these are necessary opposites. So there's a balance here. I need her. I just, I can't imagine my eternal, I can't imagine the person I spend the most time with not valuing the things I value, not being able to talk to my wife about the Book of Mormon, not taking her to the, for me, that was a deal breaker. I need to be on the same page in this area. But I'm very logical. And what I need is someone very emotional to compliment me. So there's a deal breaker and a need. You see the difference? One is an essential similarity. And one is an important difference. I need her to be different to help me see better in this perspective. My wife loves more deeply than I can even imagine. And that hadn't been a strength of mine. I love differently. She has changed me because I was wise enough to marry someone who didn't think like I, I have now grown to think like her. And I'm a better person because of it. Does that, does that under, answer your question? Yeah. All right, so I leave you my testimony. I know a lot of these, I, you know, I'm giving you balls that you've got to juggle. You got to, you know, I've got over here deal breakers I got to think about. Over here I've got preferences. And then I've got all of this. And then I've just given you one more ball to think about. And that is, Maybe I need to expand the people I hang out with because I'm always hanging around the people like me. That's probably the most important application I would have you think about today is, is your circle of acquaintances and friends limited to people who are like you? Because if you hang out with them, who are you going to date? And if you date them, who are you going to marry? So you may want to expand the people you hang out with. If you're a music person, break that circle and hang out with non-music people. 
Yes, there are good people who don't like music. I know that's revolutionary to some people. <laughs> but do you see that? We're so, sometimes we get in our silos and we just don't break them. Um, I'm incredibly privileged to have a challenge group of friends that we all still say best friends to this day. Um, and and it, it, it just like a set of family sorts. That's amazing. And one thing that we've always talked about is that we feel like we are all friends because in some way, none of us fit in with any of the other groups. Yeah. And we're all so very different. And I think that may be one of the things that has kept us as close as we all are. There's nine of us to this day because we all complement each other so well. Yeah. And, I think that's really and when you start to realize that people who see the world differently than, than me really do help me see it better. That's a totally different thought. People who see the world differently than I do aren't foreign to me and enemies to me. They open my eyes and expand my vision and they allow me to see the world better. So as you look for an eternal companion, one more question to ask is what do you need? What do you need? need who would be the very best person to walk through this life with find those qualities look for that in an eternal companion add that to the many things that we've talked about i leave you my testimony i testify of the doctrine god has given you a gift. Your weakness is your gift. Mm. Only if you temper it through humility and Jesus and a compliment, and then it becomes a strength. Otherwise, it's a poison that's going to destroy you. May you be wise enough to understand that your eternal companion has the greatest influence in helping you see your weaknesses. I will thank Heavenly Father for the rest of eternity for my wife, for helping me see and love the world in a way that I never did. And now I'm a better person because of what I've learned to see through her eyes. I would not be successful without her. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.